I'm so glad you made it this morning. I believe daylight savings time is of the devil. Just wanted to get that cleared up before we get started here this morning. And I see it kind of took out some of us. So uh, anyway, uh, they'll just show up here in a little while and we can say, you're late. But anyway, we are going to be offering, I did not fall. (laughs) We are going to be offering financial peace beginning uh, the week of March 18th. And uh, I hope if those of you who have not been able to take this course, I will tell you, it is life-changing. It will help you see your finances possibly in a way you've never seen them before. Uh, My wife and I took the course in our early 40s, which was some time ago, and uh, we, we, it just totally changed how we approach our finances and uh, what God has given us. So I want to invite you, if you've never taken the course, we will be offering it the week of March 18th. It's a nine-week course. Uh, it used to be 13 weeks. Uh, it's nine weeks, and I think it'll be a great blessing to you as it relates to that. Well, we're in the middle of this series called 101080. 101080, and it's a series that's based on finances. So what I want to do is I kind of want to review a little bit about last week, and and, uh, the series introduction is 101080 are called by many the numerical financial starting points. Dave Ramsey says, you must make your money behave left to its own. It will never go in the right direction. Now, how many of you have lived long enough to know that that's the truth? You have to make it behave. You, there are certain things in our lives that must be addressed. Now, now, it's interesting. Last week, we looked at the whole idea of giving 10. The Bible has much to say about giving, as we said last week. We're commanded to pray 121 times in Scripture. We're commanded to believe 160 times, to love 551 times, and then listen to this, to give 908 times. Why so much talk about giving? The heart of a giver, if you really think about it, is more like Jesus than anything. It's Jesus who gave. He gave his life. He gave all. So, as we saw last week, if you have last week's outline, I'm now going to help you with those blanks that you've been worried about all week that's not filled in, and I'll give you this very quickly. How should you give? Number one, you've got to give generously. Generously. It's interesting that, that when you start reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you're reading about the testimony of a, very, of a church in Macedonia, or churches in Macedonia, that are very impoverished. And what you find there is that they gave beyond themselves, and Paul's talking about that. And then you're to give worshipfully. You're to give worshipfully. It's, it's that whole idea, and as Paul was saying, they first gave themselves to the Lord. And, and when we give ourselves to the Lord and we experience that true worship, we'll want to give. Our response when we worship God is to give. And then, of course, there's how should you give? You should give lovingly. And it's that whole idea of the fact that God loves us and and he wants us to have a heart of love. And from love comes a heart of generosity. Next, how should you give? You should give expectantly. God desires to bless us. He does. He desires to bless us. He he desires to bring joy to us. He, He wants us to see the results of our faithfulness as it relates to our giving. How should you give? You should give willingly. Willingly. It's that whole idea of not grudgingly. You don't give to God's work like you're paying a bill or something, like you're paying Duke Energy or anyone else like that. You, You give because it's a joy to give. You give because you're making an eternal investment. 
Lastly, how should you give? Joyfully. It's interesting, Paul says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, for God loves a cheerful giver. For, from the root of where we find this word cheerful, we have the whole idea of a hilarious giver, someone who gives well beyond themselves. So what keeps you from giving? We looked at these last week. What keeps us from being generous? Lack of biblical teaching? Sometimes we, we don't realize, unless you've been taught, that God desires to bless us. And sometimes we don't understand the connection between what God's blessed us with and how we are to give and how God can bless us from that result. Next is the lack of faith. Some of us just have a lack of faith. That's what keeps us from being generous. Lack of financial planning. Lack of concern. Sometimes we live for ourselves. Selfishness. Lack of discipline. Many of us, and I've been there before myself, covered up in debt. And then it really comes down to this whole idea of the application. Do you desire to be a generous person? You see, I think most people do. I remember when, when we were in a position where we just didn't think we had the money to give. And, and we weren't giving of ourselves. And it was that whole idea we wanted to. But we, we didn't have the faith. We didn't have the discipline in our life to actually step out and do it. And then really the question is this. What's keeping you from being a generous person? And then really the better question is, what is your plan for becoming a generous person? So from there, we're moving on this morning from giving 10 to saving 10. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, this is the outline we're on currently this week. A Newsweek magazine article reported this, that over 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if we were to ask for a show of hands, living paycheck to paycheck, based on this statistic, seven out of every 10 of us in this room, this would be how we're living. And that is haunting when you think about it. It literally means that most people are living above their means. This statistic reveals that most people or most Americans do not save on a regular basis. Simple math concerning saving. The only way to save is to live below your means. What you make must be greater than what you spend. Now, I want you to think about these statements. Look here on the screen. Which of these statements best describe your savings habits? Number one, I have a discipline of saving a percentage of all that I make. I've somewhere along the line, I've learned that, that I need to discipline myself, that, that some of this money is not available to me that I bring in, and I need to put some of it in, a, in a, some type of investment or some type of savings plan. Number two, I save when I have extra money. Some of you may be there. Maybe some money you didn't expect, it comes in, and the first thought you have is, hey, we need to save this. How about this one? The next one there, I realize there are major expenses ahead of me but I can barely make it. I know these things await me. They horrify me when I think about them because I'm not prepared for them. Maybe it's the next one. Are you kidding? <laughs> I can't save. I'm currently living from paycheck to paycheck. 70% of Americans are living here. Next. Tomorrow will take care of itself. There's some people who have no plan. There's some people who say, you know something, tomorrow take care of yourself. I, I got so many problems today, I'm not even thinking about tomorrow. Believe me, I've lived there too. I think many of us have been there before. But there's so much more 
God has so much more. So look at the introduction on your, outli- on your outline. Do you have an intentional plan for your finances? The Bible was very clear how you should use your financial resources. Your budget should not only contain amounts you give away, but also amounts you save. According to God's word, what you give and save should both be considered investments. So last week, we looked at giving. Listen, when we give, when we give to, the, to what God's heart desires and what God's concerned about, when we give, guess what? According to that, we are making investments for eternity. But let's face it, some of us need the reality of investments made for this life too because there are things that are coming up in our life and I'll talk about that in just a moment. So what does Matthew chapter 25 say about investing? Well, first of all, I want you to look at the wording of the first part of verse 14 in Matthew chapter 25. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Can I give you a a paraphrase of this? For the reality of the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, I don't know about you, but I realize heaven is our eternal destination if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We've had three members of our church go and that become a reality for them this past week. And what's interesting about all that is the fact that heaven is reality for them at that moment. But guess what? Heaven can be a reality for us even here today. Did you know that According, based on the authority of God's word? It can. I want you to think of this. Where is the reality of the, he- of the kingdom of heaven? Heaven itself and here on earth. How do we know this? Because Jesus said in the model prayer, think about what he said. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth where? As it is in heaven. The reality of heaven can be in this world. He's basically saying we can operate in, in, by means of the reality of heaven as we navigate through this world. So this verse implies that the reality of the kingdom of heaven and its potential to be a reality here on earth. And that potential rests in you. It rests in me. It rests in this church and other churches and other believers. The reality of heaven can be here on earth. And that's what Jesus was saying in the model prayer. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 25. We learn from this parable in Matthew 25 that the Lord calls his servants. Now, sometimes when we think of a calling, we think of someone who's a pastor. We think of someone who's on staff at a church and and, and this special calling. Listen, we're all called. We all have been given opportunity. We've all been given responsibilities. We've been all been given a life that should have expectations that can come from it. And the Bible says the Lord calls his servants. Matthew 24, look at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So what does this mean? A parable is one of those things that has a heavenly principle with an earthly tone to it where we can understand it. And this is something that is a principle that should be in our life. It should be something of a reality in our life based on what Jesus is saying here. So he's saying that there's a servant and he's called by the master. And so the Lord calls his servant, look on your outline, through omniscience. Through omniscience, it's a big word that literally means God is all-knowing. He knows everything about his servants. Psalms 139, it was interesting, it's one of the most beautiful chapters in all the Bible. 
It literally says we've been handcrafted by God. Handcrafted. The gifts you have, he put there. When you were born, he decided when that was going to happen. Everything about your life was predetermined by God, according to Psalms 139. And he placed you there. And so therefore, we're here. We are his servants. He's placed us here, not only through omniscience, but also through opportunity. Through opportunity. Look at what it says in verse 14. Called his own servants, delivered his goods to them. So when he says he called his own servants, it implies that his servants are given something. And that there is an expectation that comes from what they've been given. We are going to see that in the following verses that the opportunity he's talking about is called talents. Many of you know the parable I'm talking about. A talent in the parable refers to money. It it refers to something that we've been given. And so I want to look on your outline. We've been given each day. Each day you live is an opportunity. Have you ever thought about that? Today is a new opportunity. Tomorrow will be another opportunity. The next day, another opportunity. Every day that we live, there's an opportunity that's there for us. That's given with expectation. Have you ever thought about that? Most of us don't even comprehend that. We don't realize that each day is an opportunity. How about this? Each dollar you have is an opportunity. Everything you've been given is an opportunity. Whether you're talking about a dollar, whether you're talking about time, whether you're talking about your gifts, it's all been given, listen, with expectation based on this parable. Next, the Lord gives to his servants not the same amount. In Matthew chapter 25, look at verse 15. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Think of this. Some have more to begin with in life. Where you were born, when you were born has a lot to say about that. You may say, well, wait a second. There's so many more people around me that that were born with a whole lot more. Matter of fact, how many of you have ever looked around, especially when you go to some of these coastal cities and and you hear about the price of these homes? Have you ever sat there and wondered, where did these people get this money? You ever sat there and done that? I do. I'm sitting there like, wow. Some people, how does this even happen? But what's interesting is, Each one gets something different. And sometimes we can say, well, it's not fair. It's not fair that all these people get all. And I'm sitting here, I don't don't have what they have. Well, let me just tell you, if, if you ever feel that way, go to a third world country. Do ministry there. And you'll realize what you truly have. It's amazing, our perspective, but but here's what he's saying. To one he gave five, to another two, to and to another he gave one. Not only not the same amount, the Lord gives to his service not only the same amount, but the, the same, not the same ability. In verse 25, the second part says, to each according to his ability. No two servants have the same thing as it relates to opportunity, family, gifting, heritage, training, and even a working mind. We all have different things. No two of us are alike. He's he's handcrafted us in in different ways. And it's not a matter of being fair. It's a matter of the providence of God. And so many times we look around and say, how come I don't have that? I want that so bad. Why why am I not like this? Why Why was I born into this family? Why wasn't I born over here? 
Why couldn't I have more means than I have? It's not a matter of being fair. It's about the providence of God. Have you ever thought about the story of Jesus when he walked the face of the earth? And how he navigated. It wasn't a matter that God was fair. Jesus was fair to everyone. But God's providence dictated his life. I want you to think about this. The 12 disciples. He chose just 12 people. Wouldn't you, if you were living in that day, would you have liked to be one of the 12 based on what we know about him now? Did you know there were others who wanted to be a part of the 12? And do you know what Jesus told them? No, you stay here. You be a testimony here in your own community. And then you look at the 12 and you realize that Jesus, of the 12, he even pulled three away from the 12 and he invested a little bit more in them. Have you ever thought about that? Peter, James, and John. Don't you think the rest of the disciples would like to have been included in the three? I don't know about you, but when they came back talking about the transformation, when they met Elijah and Moses, I don't know about you, but I might have been a little ticked off at Jesus. He didn't give me the opportunity to be a part of that. But it's not a matter of being fair when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's a matter of God's providence and his sovereignty and what he's up to. And I think so many times we as Christians, we wish we had this gift. I wish I could sing like some of these people. I really do. As a matter of fact, I know why I don't. I'd, I'd be the most, I, man, I'd be out here every Sunday. If I'm the pastor, you're going to hear me sing every Sunday. I, <laughs> now I know why I can't sing. Of course, my wife says I sing very nice. But anyway, I, I please her. But anyway, but here's the thought. Here's the thought here. To much is given, must, much is expected. See, there's expectation. What will you do with the amount and the ability that God has given you? You see, the Lord gives to his servants. Look at the last part of verse 15. It is the key to understanding our role in the story. In Matthew 25, verse 15, the latter part, and immediately the master, he went on a journey. I want you to think about this. Some of us look at that and say, oh, this is a, a neat story. And this, does this really apply to me? Yes, it applies to you. Jesus came on the scene, and he went away, just as the master in this story, leaving the church the responsibility to carry out his plans, to carry out the abilities that were given to them, the amounts and all that. And so therefore, Jesus left. He left the church in, in charge of the plans, and, and not in charge of the plans, but carrying out the plan. Now, my question to you is, who makes up the church? You do. And you do, and you do, and you, all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He went away, and he left us with the responsibility and the expectation to make him known, to get the word out. And he gave us special abilities to do it. Now, here's what you need. This is something you need to think about. He's coming back. He's coming back, just as you're going to see in this story, as the master comes back. So let's look at this. The Lord gives to his servants. Next, the Lord expects from his servants. And the first thing we see there is a profitable return. In Matthew chapter 25, look at verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he, he who had two gained two more also. 
But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now, look around at what God has given you. And when you look at that, that is potential. God's given you certain potential. To one he gave five, to one he gives two, to another he gives one. What will you do with the potential? What will you do with the opportunity? Have you made it profitable? When you stand before God, when he comes back, however it works out for you, will you be able to stand there and say, hey, this is what you gave me. You had an expectation. This is what's coming of it. And this is what came of it. There's a lot to be said about that. The Lord expects from his servants a profitable return. Number two, a proper response. Look at Matthew 25, verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The Lord Jesus himself is going to come back and do the same thing based on this text. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. Now look down to verse 22. He also, he who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. There was something profitable, but yet there was something, there was a greater response to what God had given them. Next, we see the Lord responds to his servants by rewarding. In Matthew chapter 25, look at verse 21. His Lord said to him, The one with five talents who invested what he was given well. He says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 23, he said to him, The one with two, well done, good and faithful servant. You have have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. What does it mean to enter into the joy of the Lord? It means to enter into that place where God blesses you. It means entering into that place where God can bring fulfillment to your life. Anybody like fulfillment? How many of you have ever created something and stepped back and thought, man, that looks good. There's so much fulfillment in that. For some of you, I don't know about you, but you ever cut the grass at the house, trim back the hedges? My wife's asking, have you? (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah, I've done some of that. And after you've maybe spent all day in the yard and you feel a little tired and all of a sudden you kind of walk to the curb of where your house sits and you look there and it's like, Man, this looks good. That's fulfillment. It's giving yourself to something. That's what God can bring to us when we fulfill what brings joy to him. We can have joy. The Lord's response to a service to some by rewarding, but to others by rebuking. I want you to look at verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. Now, can you imagine saying that to the Lord, saying that to your master, saying that to the one that's given you opportunity, the one that's given you potential, and you're sitting there and you're basically misrepresenting who he is? 
Let me ask you a question. Does that describe our Lord? Not at all. God takes it very seriously when we misrepresent him and misrepresent his son and misrepresent the gospel. He takes that very seriously and he's going to hear. And so verse 25, the servant with one said, and I was afraid he's making excuses and went out and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here is what is yours. Now we're seeing his wasted opportunity and potential. Verse 26, but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Now, now the Lord is, that Lord, that master is not saying, hey, hey, I did all these things. He's repeating back what he was accused of, 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 of doing and what he was said. He was misrepresenting him. Verse 27, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have at least received back with my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him Take that opportunity, take that potential, and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. You know what you could assume there? Literally a whole idea of a wasted reality, wasted potential, wasted opportunity. I want you to look close at your own life. How would the master describe what you've done with what he's given you, with the time that he's given you, that every day is a new opportunity, every day is a new potential, every day is a new day to make an impact for the kingdom, what matters to God, everything he's given you. Look at verse 30. Here's the haunting words. He says, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me point out three things again this text is saying. This is not on your outline. First of all, from this passage we learn that God takes being misrepresented very seriously. Y'all, we live in a world that's misrepresenting God everywhere you turn. Misrepresenting God. So many times you hear, oh God, you're a God of love. And and I'm sure you can overlook the the things in my life. And and they never take in consideration the holiness of God. And when you only take the love part, and when you only take the provision, and you don't understand the justness of God and the holiness of God, and you're misrepresenting him. And the Christian community is getting big on misrepresenting the one that they're following. Secondly, from this passage, we learned that God does not allow excuses. He, he, he doesn't cater to our excuses. He doesn't say, you know, you might be right about that. Maybe I was a little hard up. Maybe I gave, gave you a little too much to, to have any expectation of you. No, he doesn't allow excuses. So when you stand before him and, and, and he's giving you these opportunities and he's giving you this gifting and he's giving you this and that, you're going to stand before him. What kind of excuses do you plan on giving if you're not responding to what he's given you and the opportunities given you? Thirdly, from this passage, we learn that God has no tolerance for wasted opportunity and potential. No tolerance. So here's the question. Are you investing what you've been given? Your opportunities, your gifts, 
your resources. You need to realize, and this is what a lot of Christians don't realize. Sure, we're, when we stand before the Lord, we're not going to be judged. If, you know, if you truly know the Lord, you're not going to be judged whether you're going to heaven or not. Because if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you come to him on his terms and salvation has been granted to you by his grace and you've repented of your sins, guess what? It's not a matter of works at that point. It's just a matter of salvation. But, but there is going to be, still be a judgment for us. He's going to look at us and say, okay, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you live as unto yourself? Did you make your life just merely about yourself? The things I gave you, the gifting I gave you. Let's shift gears to something very practical. Why do people not save or invest? The same reason they don't give. Look on your outline, lack of planning. Just as giving, you must plan to have the ability to save or invest. Uh, back before we started taking classes on finances and different things, and by the way, I, I studied more than financial peace and Dave Ramsey. I studied everything I found. Larry Burkett, some of you remember him. He wrote books, different things. We started looking at everything. We wanted to see all the options because we were at a point in our life where we, where we wanted our life to count. And we wanted God to bless our attempts. And we didn't want to waste the opportunities with our finances. And so what we did is we started looking for a plan. Something. And guess where the plan came from? Right out of God's word. There's a plan right here in his word. Next, a lack of knowledge. Some of us don't see the potential of what investing and saving can actually do. I want to show you something that will blow your mind. Now, you're going to be mad at me because you're like, well, why didn't you tell me this when I was 19? Okay, and I understand that. When I first saw this, I thought the same thing. But I want you to look at the potential of compounding interest. Look here. Uh, and by the way, this is part of the financial peace study. I want to show it to you. Though. Jimmy and Johnny, okay, I changed the names. Both save at 12%, okay? So what they're doing is they're saving and they're getting a 12% return. Now, some of you are like, where do you get a 12% return? Did you know that the stock market since its inception, even through the Great Depression, has averaged an increase of almost 12% since its start? Now, that blows your mind, doesn't it? But yeah, you, so there you go. Let's go to the next statement. Let's say both save $2,000 per year. Next. Jimmy begins saving and investing $2,000 per year at age 19 and stops at age 26. Johnny begins saving and investing $2,000 per year at age 27 and stops at age 65. Okay? At age 65, Jimmy will have a savings of two point almost $3 million. At age 65, Johnny will have a savings of $1.5 million. Now look at the next statement. I think, there, did I put anything else there? No, that was it. Okay. Now here's what I want you to see. Jimmy saved between the ages of 19 and 26, seven years. Poor Johnny down here didn't start till he was 27. He gave 2000 for 38 years. I want you to look at this. Seven years, 38 years. And still, there's almost an $800,000 uh, $800, difference. Poor Johnny never caught up. Now, I know you're sitting here. You're just like me. And you're sitting here, what good does this do me? <laughs> we can still take advantage of compounding interest if we can just get to the point where we're giving to, 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 to the whole idea of saving and investing and, and, and taking this potential that we've been given. 
And so therefore, this shouldn't paint a picture of hopelessness, is what I'm saying. We can start anywhere, but this is the potential that we possibly can see. And a lot of people don't realize that. They, don't, they have a lack of knowledge of how things work. Why do people not save and invest? Lack of discipline. People tend to spend all they have. There's always someone, something competing for your money. Did you know that? And so what happens is when we get a raise, we're thinking, hey, we get to buy more things. We don't sit back and think, no, God has expectations of building the kingdom. God has an expectation of us giving of ourselves. God has an expectation of us saving and making investments and, and doing these things. And, and so we lose sight of what it's all about. Next, the abundance of debt. That's the reason people don't save or don't invest. Proverbs 21 says this, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. But those, of, but those of everyone who is hasty, and I would call that debt, surely to poverty. They don't wait. They jump out there. They got to have it now. There's a big difference. So how do I need to save? What do I, why do I need to save and invest? Number one, to anticipate future hardship. And that takes care of the unknown. How many of you ever had health issues that cost a little bit? Yeah. How about the, I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember there were times in our life, and some, I think every one of y'all, I think, not hopefully, but I think any of us, I remember one time we were, we were going as hard as we could go with our finances, and we wanted it to be right. We wanted it to be right. I, I remember one time I got in the car, and the car wouldn't crank, and, and we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, you, we've all been there, and uh, I'm not a big crier, but I sat in that car, and I just cried. <laughs> I was like, I don't have any more money. I can't, I can't work anymore. And I'm working. I, you, you know what I'm talking about? But you know something? Is it likely the car's going to need fixing in the future? Yeah. Why not save? Why not be ahead of it? Why not save the hardship? Tina and I, when we were dealing with our finances and, and we, we just didn't have the money, and we, it caused so much stress in our life. I mean, we literally, have you ever been there? We literally fought over every dollar and how it, should have been taken, how it should have been spent. A lot of stress on the marriage. Very difficult time. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're smiling from ear to ear. You can relate to the story, but you're sitting here saying, praise God, I'm not there right now. Hallelujah. I mean, you could have a worship time right now. But it's amazing how many people are there. How about this? Why do I need to save and invest to build wealth? You say, wealth, isn't that a bad thing in Scripture? Mm. There were a lot of wealthy people in Scripture. Y'all realize Abraham was very wealthy? Job was one of the wealthiest men in his day. I mean, all these people, I mean, Solomon, did they, did they blow it at times with their wealth? Yeah, most definitely, but there's no condemnation of wealth in Scripture except for the fact if it has a hold of your heart. Rich young ruler came to Jesus and Jesus identified his problem. Jesus didn't go around telling all wealthy people sell all they have and give it to the poor. He told that one. You know why? Because Jesus looked in his heart and he said, this is what, this is what your whole life is about, is building wealth. And it's going to keep you from fulfilling, and, uh, the fulfilling what I have for you. You need to sell it. That's a problem for you. Whereas it might not have been a problem for the next guy. 
And the thing that we need to understand is it's okay. To build wealth takes care of the known. Retirement. Listen to this. It's estimated 40% of people will go broke in retirement. Here's another one. One in three Americans have, not, have no retirement savings. I don't know about you, but my kids told me I couldn't move in with them when, when things ran out. I, they, and here's how they preference it. You sent us out, and we're not going to let you come in. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> we booted them out of the house, and they're, they're kind of resentful of that. No, no, it's that whole idea. We know it's coming. Big purchases, education, house, give to others. The opportunity to give. Some of you are sitting here thinking this is obvious, but the real question is this. What are you doing about it? How are you saving? What's your plan? You have to have a plan. You have to see the potential, which leads us to the next question. How should I save? How should I invest? You must have an intentional plan to accomplish these things. Those servants in the parable, listen, were given something. They were given opportunity. Once given the opportunity, two of them put a plan into action while the other one did not. And of course, this is a possible plan. This is taken from financial peace. This is the Dave Ramsey model. This is what we're offering in this class. And this will revolutionize how you look at finances. Number one, step one, save for the initial emergency fund. Save at least, save at least $1,000 to just set it aside. Now, some of you are like, just a thousand? Yeah, there's plenty of things that'll blow that out of the water. But you gotta start the discipline somewhere. Most people don't even have that, believe it or not. Number two, retire debt, except for your house debt. You need to start retiring it. He talks about that. Step three, save for remaining emergency fund. Do you realize you need at least three months expenses? Some people say really six. Some people even say you really need nine months. Step four, save for retirement. Step five, save for college. Step six, pay off the house. Step seven, save for wealth and then give it away. Get to a point where you're financially dependent that you can use opportunities to meet needs. You say, well, wait a second. You, you mean tell me these are still, some of these are going to work together. Matter of fact, listen, I don't believe any of this works unless you put yourself in a position for God to bless you. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in this because I'm living it. I believe tithing is essential. To say, God, I believe, I trust in you, I'm giving you what you said is, a to is showing you my, my trust in you and your faithfulness to fulfill the needs that I have. And that, you got to start somewhere. You got to have a plan. So here's the application. God expects the life he has given us to produce results. It's not just about money. It's about everything he's given us. He invests in us that we may invest in others. Now, I want to close where I began. Matthew 25, for the kingdom of heaven is like. There is, listen, an economy in heaven that's eternal that is different from the economy on earth that's temporal. My question to you is this. Are you making investments into eternity? Are you helping build the kingdom of God? Do you realize that's what's, got, that's what's on God's heart? the opportunity, the potential, the, the gifting, the resources, all those things have been given. And his heart is to build the kingdom of God, to make him known. Jesus said in the model prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can see the reality of heaven right here on earth and it rests in us.
It rests in the church. And God wants to usher that in. How are you doing when it comes to that? I want to ask the ushers to come forward if they will. Father, we just come to you right now. And we just thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And Father, I've I've been in this church as long as I have. I've seen the testimony of faithfulness when it comes to giving. And Father, being here as long as I have, I've also seen people work through some tremendous struggles in their life. And and I'm one of them that that, that you've worked through. You've given me a plan. You show me in Scripture what your expectation of when it comes to my finances, when it comes to the gifting that you've given me. And Father, I pray that we realize that, that all the things we've been talking about here today is not a matter of fairness. It's not a matter of what well, God did for the up one and didn't do for me. It's, it's all about the sovereignty of God. It's all about his providence and what he trusts us with and what he gives us. And Father, I pray that we'll be faithful to the opportunities that you give us. We'll be faithful each day waking up, seeing that as an opportunity. That we'll be faithful in the gifting that you've given us and seeing that as an opportunity to build the kingdom in our resources. Lord, help us to take on the mindset that you have for us that's clearly seen in Scripture. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Obviously ran out of time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel that great. I've been up since about three, not feeling good. Don't so. be getting in my face about that. <laughs>